Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He says, thank you for taking my email in question. My girlfriend and I listen to you on the radio and she respects your opinion as I do. So here's the question. I've been separated for nine months. I'm working on a divorce. Is it proper for me to be with my girlfriend and not be divorced from my current wife? And the answer is no, that's not proper, and you have to close one chapter before you start another. Hey there, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and you know I call it like I see it. And the bottom line is I know And for some of you, you may be in process to do the right thing. But I, as a sexual addictions therapist and as a partner's therapist, cannot advocate for people to spend time together when they're not officially divorced. Okay, you may ask, well, what happens if a divorce occurs and it lasts for one, two, three, four years before it actually is finalized? Well, that is tough, and only you know the right answer to that. As a matter of fact, I have a girlfriend right now who has been in a relationship for five years with somebody who's been separated for ten years, is not in any way engaging with his wife, or so she thinks. He thinks. No, she thinks. But at the same time, i got to tell you, he is not fully invested or available to her while he's with somebody else. And that's why I'm telling you this. It is to protect yourself. It's not to be judgmental or mean-spirited. It's to say, you know, when you follow good boundaries, those boundaries are there to protect you. 
And if you want to right the wrongs and you want to meet the right people, you have to do it the right way. And that's what I believe to be true. So I get it. I get that a lot of people are hurting for certain. They want to be in a relationship. They think they've met Mr. Right or Miss Right. But I promise you that more often than not, that is not how it happens. That when you do things well, when you have defined boundaries, and when you say, you know what, if we're meant to be, I promise you, we'll be together. We'll spend time dating. We'll get to know each other. But let's do it after one chapter is closed so we can open the other one officially. So I'm glad that, that they had the um, wherefall to contact me via email. I got another email from a woman named Susie, and she said, Hey, Carol, I recently found your show, and last summer I identified as a sex and a love addict. She goes, Your show really helps me deal with the loneliness that pervades my days and nights in my healing journey. My question, I have craved some men and not others. I am convinced I only craved those I truly loved and who were quality partners but they abandoned and rejected me. Only the boring losers with nothing to offer stick around. Okay. I got to challenge you here. The men that don't stick around are not quality partners. If they've abandoned and rejected you, one of two things are happening. They're either players wanting to experience a novelty, a new rush, a new person, and they aren't man enough to stick around and get to know the real you. Or, and I'm going to tell you this for sure, if you have defined yourself as a sex and a love addict, then I've got to question your abilities to be able to pick properly. I mean, you said... Only the boring losers with nothing to offer stick around. Well, are they boring or are they losers? If they're boring, they're probably nice guys, and you probably need to work through that need for an adrenaline rush and get to know these guys that are boring. Now, maybe you won't want to date them more than three or four times, but... In the same way that I ask my sex addicts and my partners to go to six meetings before they determine, is that meeting right for them? I would ask you to go out with somebody three to four times before you make the ultimate decision as to whether that person is right for you. If you are basing this on chemistry alone, more than likely, more than likely, not always, but more than likely, it isn't going to work. So Susie goes on to say, I'm interested to know your opinion. If you have a resource for for me, uh, do you think love slash romance addicts are only addicted to other addicts? The reason I ask is that if I'm only craving and connecting with men who are unavailable in any way, including just not that into me, 
then it seems I will always end up with ten times more withdrawal than with other relationships. Okay. Yes, I believe that there is something magnetizing you to the unavailable mate. And when you find out that somebody's unavailable, I want you to run, not just walk away from that person. Because when you know that intellectually and in your gut and emotionally, then you need to move on. Why would you stick around and hang out with somebody who's emotionally unavailable? Makes no sense to me. Now, the other thing she said is, if, however, the human magnet syndrome is true and I'm only addicted to other addicts, there may be hope for me. Now, I do believe she's talking about my friend Ross, who's going to be on the show in a couple weeks. And I'm going to have to read him this email and see what he thinks. Because what he is referencing in the human magnet syndrome is that oftentimes people are attracted to people so that they can work through their own interpersonal wounds. Now, I do believe in that. I have to tell you, I do, but not always. And I sure don't think that partners are attracted to sex addicts because of some unmet need. Okay, now, if they have a trauma that they have experienced there may be something that's connecting them to a sex addict. I would not say that in all cases, but as a marital therapist and as a relationship counselor, I do know that we pick our partners oftentimes to work out our own interpersonal issues. I'm going to tell you, I married my mother. I did. My mother was um, controlling. My mother was defined. She had a certain way of doing things, and she didn't like it if you chose the other way. Well, that's my husband, too. But here's the good news. My husband cares for me. He is loyal. He does things for me. His controlling nature at times makes him the most supportive partner because He wants things to go well for our home. That's not codependent on his part or on my part. That's who he is. And so I take the good and the bad. And I, you know, if I got him up here, he'd probably share a few things about me that are true. My bottom line is that I would need to ask you, Susie, hey, have you been traumatized in your past? You say you're codependent. And so you only attract narcissists. Anxious love addicts attract avoidant types. Well, I'm a believer in Pia Melody's stuff, and I do believe that there are people that are love pursuers that end up hooking up or desiring love addicts. I do. Or I, I'm sorry, love avoidance. But, you know, here's what I truly believe. If that's a pattern that you see, then you have to look for men that are ready to give to you. And then I would challenge you, are you ready to receive? And is that, you you kind of said that they're boring. 
Well, okay, if you take the boring out of the picture, because that's what they are, and I totally trust your opinion, what else do they have to offer you? Are they nice guys? Are they loyal? Do they want to have a future with you? Are they consistent? So, Susie, as you can see, there may be some work that you have to do as a love and sex addict to find the relationship you really desire. And I know you would not be emailing me unless you did desire that. So I'd say get with a good therapist. Since you're saying you're a sex addict, get yourself with a CSAT, someone who's a certified sexual addictions therapist. You can go to sexhelp.com, put in your zip code, and find that person. And then explore the possibility that either trauma that you may have experienced is contributing to your pursuit of unavailable men, or if you don't haven't experienced any trauma, find out what's wrong with your picker. You know, tonight we're going to be dealing with an author, Shannon Collier, and she wrote an excellent book. Uh, she dated the assets but married the good guy. Now, that's the title. That is not the subtitle. If you want the real name of the book, it says she dated the assets but married the good guy, how to go from toxic love to real love in 12 exercises. Now, you know I am a proponent of doing the work. It may be long-term, but it needs to be simplified, and it sounds like Shannon is excellent at that. She's the creator of a love school, a 10-week program that uses goal-setting, visualization, and 12-step recovery to break cycles of emotional abuse and codependency and to promote healing, self-love, and healthy interdependent relationships. And you've heard me talk about that before. We don't want to be dependent. That takes away our power. We don't want to be independent because then we have trouble giving and receiving. But interdependent means that we have a healthy sense of giving and taking, sharing, accepting, and uh, being our own true authentic self. So I am so looking forward to this interview. Shannon Calvary, I want to welcome you to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. How are you? Hi, Carol. I am doing very well, and I'm very grateful to be on your show. Thank you for having me. Yes, this kind of happened in an unusual way. I had somebody contact me. They said you were, you had a great program, you had a great book, and I should interview you. So I'm glad that you were able to talk a little bit today about, you know, marrying the good guy or how do you go from toxic love mm, to real love right. and the formula for that. So yeah. I know that I have you, hey, I work with sex addicts and partners, and you mm-hmm. seem to have a lot of experience with that realm. Can you tell me, um, what made you write the book? Sure. Um, well, I've been a writer for many, many years, and as a writer of creative fiction and things like that, you're often asking for approval, like what I've written, enjoy what I've written. Well, it just gets to be kind of an empty an empty situation. And and so when I began blogging about my own recovery from codependence, which was a 10-year process for me of 
off and on. You know, I think it takes a long time because sometimes we don't want to do the work. But I wrote an article that really struck a chord on Huffington Post. It ended up having 27,000 Facebook likes, and I started getting a lot of a lot of people coming to me and asking for my help because I am a proponent of 12-step recovery. And I thought, you know, there's a real need out there. And instead of me saying, like me, love my writing, I'm saying, how can I help? And it's been kind of revolutionary for me because one of the things when you're a sex and love addict, and I consider myself to have been a love addict, um, which is I was very attracted to emotionally unavailable men who were were unfaithful. Um, And usually a love addict is their partner hand in hand because we mistake sex for love and um, have a lot of issues that revolve around that that son. In any case, um, I, I, I wrote the book as a quicker way to take the path that I took. It took me a long, long time, but I think if you really dig in and work hard, it can be something that happens rather rapidly. And as you said, the love school is really about self-love first. And when you have that, then you can love another person in a healthy way. Oh, 100%. So it was based on your own personal experiences as well as the response of an article that you wrote. And so tell me a little bit, how can a sex addict begin recovery? Well, you know, sex addiction is something that people are so, so ashamed of. Um, They're almost more ashamed to call themselves a sex addict than they are to say they're an alcoholic or, you know, an overspender or an overeater. In fact, um, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous has an amazing book, uh, their flagship book, um, that was written by a man who first entered 12-step recovery through being an alcoholic. And he found over the years that he sort of switched addictions. He went from alcoholism into sex addiction, and that can often happen where people switch addictions. But he was the flagship person that got out there and began to correlate sex addiction as a similar spiritual and emotional and physical disease as alcoholism. So if you're a sex addict, this means somebody that engages in sexual behavior that is self-destructive and potentially destructive to others. The first thing you have to do is forgive yourself. You have a disease. It actually there are chemicals that are released in the brain when you engage in this behavior that are serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin. You get a reward. Your reward center is stimulated. So the first thing you have to do is think of it as a disease because when we're in shame, we continue with furtive behavior. Absolutely. So that would be my first I at 100%. Yeah. And then get out of isolation. If you're a sex, love, alcohol, any kind of addict, isolation will kill you. And what that means is you don't go find people who will judge you to help you and make you feel worse. You find people that are suffering from similar issues, and you get yourself into a community of fellow recoverers. It's wonderful because you can have a great deal of humility without feeling humiliated. And I think humility is the first step, dealing with your shame, your isolation, and getting into humility, saying, wow, you know, I need help. And I'm willing to get out of shame and isolation to get it. It takes a lot of bravery. 
Well, absolutely. And Shannon, I got to tell you that certainly as a certified sexual addictions therapist, we oftentimes know that there are multiple addictions that are associated with sex addiction. And if you control the sex addiction, alcoholism, gambling, um, eating compulsions may occur and vice versa. So I absolutely endorse what you're saying that you can have many of these issues and to recognize that it's a disease and then neutralize the shame by doing 12-step work is probably one of the very best ways to combat the self-loathing, which then Mm. stops you from really getting to your goal, which is true recovery. Absolutely. You know, it's so funny because they say in 12-step recovery, and I've been a member of two different programs in my in my lifetime as an adult, that um, we use our addiction to actually fill a God-shaped hole. And it's kind of funny because, you know, I grew up in a very religious home that didn't suit me. So I threw the baby out with the bathwater, and I said, I'm agnostic at best and atheistic at worst. So when you have a and, – and they say that highly intellectual people or people who've had a bad experience with religion have the hardest time swallowing the pill of 12-step recovery because they have such a defiance toward accepting that there's anything that is more knowledgeable than their own brain, you know. But I, I think that, that the cure for addiction so that it just doesn't morph into a different addiction is to practice that spiritual program to find silent moments to be humble enough to be in some form of prayer or meditation. For me, because I was anti, uh, an anti-religionist, um, I love the ocean. I scuba dive. I body surf. I've always sailed and done all these things on the water. Um, and I remember a turning point for me was scuba diving off, off of Catalina one day and running into a white seal and um, who played with me a little bit. He was very shy, and he kept peeking and then hiding. And it's so funny, when I got into the second step, which is coming to believe in a higher power, I thought about that seal because he just represented magic to me and something beyond my scope of comprehension. Well, you're so honest, and you share that kind of recovery in terms of the two 12-step programs you've been in. Can you tell me... What other tools would you suggest to a sex addict who Mm -hmm. wants to recover? Well, rigorous honesty is number one. So let's say you're someone who feels uncomfortable with the whole 12-step concept. One of the things that I loved so much about uh, Sex and Love Addicts uh, Anonymous um, book was the gentleman began his recovery by carrying around a small notepad. And every time he felt triggered to engage in sexual intrigue, because there are many different layers to sex addiction, right? It's the sex itself is not really the end game. You know, the actual physical act, the sex addiction is between the ears, not the legs. And what he found was, right? So when he became determined to overcome this affliction, and and let me tell you, he he was suicidal. I mean, it took that. It took him getting to the point where, I mean, there are many people that will be in a low-grade kind of sexual addiction where maybe they're not full of integrity in their marriage or their, or their relationships with a partner. Maybe they slip now and then. But, and, 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 that, and, and I think you, you can even try for recovery when you're at that level. But for this guy, it had become life-threatening. 
So every time that he felt himself being stimulated by somebody he was sexually attracted to, he would take a time out, go in the bathroom, and write about what he noticed. What did he notice that happened in his body? What did he notice that happened in his mind? What justifications, you know, those little voices that say, oh, you deserve this, you're working so hard, you're not making enough money, you deserve this, or your wife is overweight, she just had a baby, you deserve this. Oh, it won't go further than a flirtation, you know, the denial, right? So I think mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Oh, absolutely. Or the rationalization yeah. or the justification. The rationalization, yes. Mm-hmm. So if you're serious, keep a little – and, you know, now in the day of iPhones, you can do voice memos. Well, unless you don't want to be – maybe you don't want to do that. I don't know. Someone could take your phone and hear your voice memos. But it's about rigorous honesty. That's a huge Okay, so that's tool. the first tool. Tell us some more. Yeah. Well, the other thing is if you find yourself blaming your wife or your partner for your straying – you just know that that is not only damaging to your recovery, but it's also vilifying someone who doesn't deserve it. So when you find yourself making those rationalizations or justifications, you have to take that person out of the equation. You know, it's funny. Sex and love addicts will always look for the right person to cure their addiction. If I find the right woman, she treats me the right way. Or if you're a woman who's a sex addict, oh, if I just find that right man, there's no right woman, there's no right man, there's only the addiction. And other people are just a tool that you use to stay in the addiction. So that's an important thing to note. Okay, so then let me ask you, are there any other tools that you believe are helpful who, you know, that would promote good recovery for mm-hmm. a sex addict or a sex and love addict. Well, and this is deep work. So uh, one of my favorite authors who who's since passed is John Bradshaw, who wrote that wonderful book, Homecoming, right? Homecoming, Which is right, rec- yeah. I mean, what a beautiful book. I say you find the literature that you need to support you, but inner child work work is extremely important for love and sex addicts. Um, When I think about myself, uh, I was never a sex addict per se because, well, maybe I was. I don't know. I was one of those people that would date someone a couple times because I was very physically attracted to them. And then I'd be in a relationship for five years that would never be to my, it would never be good for me. Um, I always joke around that you know my sex organs could walk into a bar and pick the one guy from Rikers Penitentiary because I think mm-hmm. what happens is if we don't understand our family of origin and where we come from, we are sexually attracted to men and women who mirror our upbringing. So if we had a functional, healthy, loving upbringing, chances are we're going to be sexually attracted to people that reflect that. If we did not, we're going to be more susceptible to repeating the history of our parents. So it's extremely important to understand where you come from and to reparent that inner child who was either neglected or abused. In my case, I was a parent for one of my parents who was also a love addict. Um, and my role in the family was to be the therapist for the adults, um, the peacekeeper, and I had to not have any needs or wants of my own. 
So when I became an adult woman and was falling in love with men, I found the men who needed me to take care of them, fill their intimacy and sexual needs, but I was not allowed to need anything in return. What jump-started my recovery was beginning to embrace and love the little girl inside of me that was making these choices. And that's a process. I say, you know, um, if 12-step recovery is not on your radar, look into inner child recovery um, mm-hmm. because that 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 is a huge, it's just such a beautiful thing to do for yourself. I took a photograph of myself at a time that was extremely painful that I remember in my childhood, and it felt ridiculous because I'm here I was a grown woman, right, in my then my late 20s, and I put that photo of myself at the age of two, which is when my parents divorced. I put it on a mirror, and I looked at it every single day, and every day I said, I love you just as you are, and I'm here to take care of you today. And just that practice of doing that every morning when I got up and learning to love that person. If you're a sex or love addict, chances are you are full of self-loathing. You think you're, you know, the, the slime under the rock, right? You're not. You were damaged. You inherited something. It could be a generational dysfunction that you've just picked up from many generations and now you have the opportunity to disrupt that cycle. And it takes a great deal of courage and bravery and should be done with self-compassion, not self-hatred. Well, you know, I so love mirror work. And, and Louise Hay from Hay House was mm, a yeah. real proponent of doing that. And and I've listened to many a podcast from her or life coach Cheryl Richardson mm-hmm. and and. Mm-hmm. They do say it is very difficult to have mirrors available, and every time you look in that mirror, as opposed to figuring out what's wrong, what wrinkles there, what blemishes there, if you say, you know, honey, I love you, you're an amazing person, you have so much to give and offer, and I just wanted to tell you that today. I just wrote an article myself on this last month for a magazine, Indie Metro Women, and I'll tell you... It does sound hokey and it does sound simplified, Mm. but it retrains the brain to look at yourself differently and create self-love. And that is what you're saying is the antidote Mm. for sex addiction or for, Mm. you know, love addiction, partner trauma. and I love I love what you're saying. And and the other thing I want to say, I had kind of a startling moment in my recovery where it just occurred to me one day to replace that affirmation with "I forgive you, Shannon." Wow, that was, you know, to say I forgive you to yourself. I forgive you. I forgive you. You're doing the best you can, one step at a time, one day at a time. Progress, not perfection. Right? Those wonderful <laughs> phrases that. When you go into these 12-step rooms, you're like, ah, you know, what is all this stuff? But, yeah, I mean, it it really is about self-forgiveness, too. You know, I remember one of the men that I dated for five years who um, I'm no longer in contact with, but um, he was in a great deal of pain because of his um, his sex addiction. And here's one thing I would say to the love-addicted men and women who are listening it's not your job to heal someone who's a sex addict. You don't have to do that. In fact, be having a lot of empathy or compassion for that person can actually keep you stuck in a bad situation for yourself. 
But once you have some distance, it's okay to forgive them from a distance. And those of you that are behaving in a way that you consider, maybe you know that you're behaving in a way that is reprehensible. Forgiveness, self-forgiveness is important. And then earning your own self-respect one day at a time is important. Well, let me just remind our listening audience that I am talking with Shannon Collery, and she is a passionate and compassionate recovery road warrior, helping women, especially in emotionally abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. You've written this book. You're the author of She Dated the Asshats but Married the Good Guy, How to Go from Toxic Love to Real Love in 12 Exercises. You created the Love School, a 10-week program that uses goal-setting, visualization, and 12-step recovery to break cycles of emotional abuse, codependency, Mm -hmm. and to promote healing, self-love, and healthy interdependent relationships. So can you talk a little bit about your school as well as your book? Oh, happily. Well, I want you to know that I have a really, I consider myself to have a very good sense of humor. So, you know, um, the word asshats is a bit silly, but what I found is that if we can take a light feeling about some of these things, um, we can move through them in a way that is real. Like when I work with clients one-on-one, we laugh we actually will chuckle at some of the absurdities that occur, you know, in these types of relationships. And, I, and I'm always very transparent about the foibles of my own recovery, which is, um, you know, I mean, I, there were times I chased a car down a street from a man that was trying to get away from me. And, uh, you know, I always say I was, I was probably as skilled as any KGB agent in terms of spying, you know, to make sure that someone was being faithful to me. But what I will say about love school, initially I I had called it how to go from toxic love to real love, and then I realized, no, it's love school. That's what it is because it's, it's about loving ourselves enough to stop rescuing, to stop bossing, controlling, manipulating. You know, those of us that are involved with um, sexual sex addicts, we can be just as manipulative and controlling and demanding and bossy and and crazy as as our partner because we are so busy trying to change them rather than turning the you know the the focus back on ourselves and you said something when you were leading into this which is fixing your picker you know ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen that are with sex addicts you stop looking at that other person and trying to change them you, that is not your job and it's none of your business it, it, you have to turn it around and look at yourself. So love school begins with uh, the first couple of weeks are about really getting honest about who we are and what we want. Um, post-feminism, I think a lot of women feel shy and embarrassed to say they want to get married and have a family because, gosh, we've come so far as women. How dare that? How dare we have that goal? And even an even bigger secret is we'd like to raise our children. We might even want to stay home and, and raise them. You know, same with men. So the first two two weeks, we, we get real. What is it that you really want? Not what you, And then what are the critical voices that come up and tell you you don't deserve it, right? Because the voices I heard as a child were, you're lazy, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you can't do it. So as an adult, when I would want something from a man, I thought, 
the only thing I have a value to offer is my sexuality. I'm an attractive woman. I will lure him in with the way I look, how well I am and how how good I am in bed, and I won't have any needs. Well, we have to peel that layer off. And I hate to say it, but our current culture, uh, the advertisers, television, it's still selling us that package, that we're only as lovable as we are sexually attractive, predominantly for women but also for men. So we have to get down to what are our values? And and that sounds like the 1950s, but we have to re-embrace the fact that we want to live in our values and we have to find out what they are. And then we move forward and we have to uncover what are our self-defeating character traits that we need to shed. So first you have to become aware of what they are and then you have to start moving forward with turning them over. For me, I have to give my character defects to, you know, my higher power. There can be other ways to do that. But a lot of the character defects that you find in sex addicts are maybe defiance, impulsivity, um, denial, justification, rationalization. Love addicts, it's we're people pleasers, we're rescuers, we're psychotherapists, even though we don't have a degree. You know what I mean? Um, and then you move forward from there. Yeah, you may not have a degree, but you definitely have a degree in life and and patterning and what you've done for most of your life. And so that is what the school is all about. And it sounds like it starts from a great place, which is I can't do your inventory. I just need to attend to myself mm-hmm. and... I always say, especially with partners of sex addicts, you know, they need to take care of themselves and they need to understand two really important things. How are they feeling? And I keep Mm -hmm. it to the primary five. Are they feeling anger, sadness, loneliness, fear, and happiness? Mm -hmm. And what are their needs? What do they need in their life? And it sounds like with your visualizations, you help them to determine what are you really looking for? Right. Because I think they, you know, I think what happens is we get involved in the minutia of our partner's behavior and we try to manage it. You know, I'll have a client that will I'll be speaking to and she'll say, well, you know, every night we have to say goodnight when he's on a business trip. Right away, that's a red flag for me. I, I've been married 16 years to my husband. I never have to call him at midnight when he's on a business trip because I know he's sleeping, you know. And 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 she will keep checking her phone and staying up all night. So the first thing I say is you have to get rid of the tools of your addiction, and the phone is one of them. And you're addicted to him and controlling him. And I love what you said about how are you feeling because that's what's really, you know, rather than going into calling and texting and driving around to see where he is and what he's doing, sit with it for a moment. How are you feeling? Chances are I'm afraid. I'm anxious. Um, I, you know, well, where, where did you, when did you feel that in the past? For me, because one of my parents had, had addiction, I would feel anxious if I didn't know where she was. I would be anxious if she came home too late. Um, and I'm like, wow, this is an old feeling. It's an old feeling, and I found someone who's familiar, and I'm having the same feeling again. And that, and you know, feeling the feelings can actually get you into emotional sobriety. 
you know, and and that's a place none of us really want to go to because it hurts to sit in it and to cry or to yell in your closet as loud as you can to get the feelings up and out. But then when you're what you're left with after you felt the feelings is a more detached point of view. And, you know, in the recovery rooms, they call it getting into the audience of your own life, having that healthy third eye that steps out and says, wow, look at that. She's, she's, she's stalking him. <laughs> wow, look at that. You know, almost like you are investigating what's going on. So it's well, you know, process. it's so interesting because I am a psychotherapist of 35-plus mm-hmm. years. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I recognize is that when I work with women who have been with somebody, they've been married, and they found out that their husband has cheated, they don't necessarily mm-hmm. stick around. But when I work mm-hmm. with partners of sex addicts and they find out this horrific information, they do stick around. And... One of the things I know by being partner trained and certified in that training is that Mm. for a long time, those partners were told, you know, you attracted this guy because you had Mm. some major wounding and that's Mm. partially your fault. And what we know now is that although that theory works for marriages in general, a lot of times partners were... um, they really thought they were in a healthy relationship, and the addicts were so good at deceiving, mm-hmm. um, being illusionary. You know, they created mm-hmm. this illusion of a great marriage, and then when the partners found out, they were so shell-shocked that they mm-hmm. really didn't know how to respond. And so getting mm-hmm. in touch with what they need and getting in touch with their feelings and getting in touch with their vision of how they want their lives to go is a recovery tool for them, whether they stay in the relationship or whether they mm-hmm. get out of Dallas. You know, they they still need to work <laughs> on that. Would you yeah, agree? Yeah, they do. Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, here's here's the thing, too. I mean, that's the crazy thing about recovery is, is that it's uh, a, a bit dichotomous at times because I, I always talk about the three Cs, which is, you know, you didn't cause someone's uh, sexual addiction. You can't control it and you can't cure it. It's for that person to deal with, right? Um, and I think oftentimes, <laughs> pardon me? I said 100%, I believe that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, and so um, but having said that, if you find yourself dating this, I always say, are you dating the same guy but just in a different body? You know, so so that's that's kind of the difference, uh, which is you're never at fault if someone treats you poorly. You are not at fault for that. Um, however, if you keep pe- peeking, you know, picking a person who does it the same way over and over, then you have to say, okay, I didn't cause the bad behavior, but I'm definitely not picking the right guys. And then you have to do your your research. But I I have a very lovely lovely friend who um who, whose parents are still married, and their marriage is as good as any marriage can be. I mean, I think they have their ups and downs, but my girlfriend really got blindsided. She ended up marrying a guy that turned out to be a sociopath and for many, many, many years was able to hide. It was sort of like that game, you know, where they put the one, the coin under one shell. It's the shell game and they move them around. And Mm -hmm. it was so funny because she's such a sweetheart and so, um, you know, so, so I don't want to say naive, but in a way, 
I, every time I would hear her talk about him, I thought this guy's having an affair. But I didn't say I didn't say it because it's not my place. It turns out, not only was he having an affair, he was having five affairs. I mean, he had a woman in every port. And you know, thank gosh for my friend. You know, she had a very strong spiritual community, and she found her way through. But she was definitely blindsided, and I don't believe that she selected him. I don't believe she had a pattern of behavior. I think that she just she just kind of got groomed and and, and she duped. got groomed and duped. Yeah. Yes. So that now that is one of those things. Yeah. For for men and women who may be in the situation where you know they do want to work on themselves and they do want to find healthier relationships. I know that your school is for women. Um Yes. Do men ever um, do the online course? You know, that's funny because they do. Um, I wanted to to sort of, you know, when I thought about who's the person that I can help, I thought about who I was in my 20s. Um, that's the woman I wanted to help because it was me. And I had a woman uh, who was, I'm, in, I'm 51 years old now, almost 52. And in my 20s, I was helped by a woman who's my age now. And while I don't mother my female clients, I do have love for them because they reflect to me where I was. And I I really want to help them in a way that is not overbearing but gentle, a gentle encouragement. But I will say time to set the next appointment, you know, and, and I, and I, you know, that's not monetarily driven. That is, I will, in fact, I often will say, let's just do an extra session because I know you need it. Not, you know, on me because I, I have skin in the game, but I have had several men who've reached out to me. It is not gender specific. You know, there are so many men out there who are hurting in the exact same way where they just, they don't know what's happening, they don't know why it's happening, but they're being emotionally abused by their partner. And um, there are three or four men that, that I work with today, and I love them. You know, I really care about them, because I see the little boy in them that didn't get what, it, what he needed. And I try to help them, help them to champion that child within them. So it is not gender-specific. Um, you know, we, we're we all doing the best that we can, right? And I always make jokes that um, when I'm interviewed, and especially when I was interviewed about the book where I dated the assets, I said, there's a man out there in the world, and I know him very well, haven't seen him in a long time, who would say, yeah, Shannon, you were my asshat. <laughs> Sometimes you find yourself mm-hmm. on either side of the coin, right? You're either You're either dating someone who's running away from you as fast as he can, or you're dating someone that you have a lot of power over that maybe you're not treating as well as you should. So, yeah. <laughs> I have been well, on tell me, side. So how can somebody find out more about your school and look into sure. how how they do that? Sure. Um, well, you know, you can go to my website. I'm at shannoncolleary.com. And Colleary is an Irish name. It's C-O-L-L-E-A-R-Y. 
But I've also been published really frequently on Huffington Post, so it's kind of easy to find my articles there. And I had the great honor, well, this hasn't happened yet, but prior to writing my book, I asked permission from AA to reprint the 12 Steps. I was given permission, and I will be published um, in their magazine this this summer. So if you just Google my name, you'll find me. Um, I'm kind of everywhere. And um, I do coach just a few people one-on-one, but I do also do um, anonymous group coaching where um, people learn from each other on teleconferences, which are on the telephone. So anonymity is always, anonymity is the most important thing because people have to feel safe sharing sharing their pain and, and what they're recovering from. Absolutely. So again, for the listening audience, it's Shannon Clearly, and that is C-O-L-L-E-A-R-Y, and her email yeah. address is Shannon at ShannonCalearly.com. And yes. so clearly you can go to your website and mm-hmm. look up the course and find out the cost and how extensive it is. You mm-hmm. said it's 10 weeks. About yeah. how much time do you spend on each each week? Well, I, when I work on with one-on-one clients, we have a 60-minute phone call each week. And I should say, you know, some of the work is intensive, so some people need to stretch that out. They can't zip through it in 10 weeks. So I, I really think realistically prepare for stretching this out for a few months because it's deep, deep work. And then with the group coaching, I try to do uh, a 90-minute phone call in the morning and in the evening every other week. Um, I'm also always available on Facebook. I, I try to create a pri- private Facebook group so people can ask questions between sessions. And for me, I, I just want to make sure that I say, I always say to my clients, look, I can't cure all of your problems in this short period of time. However, I can contribute to you walking down the path to recovery. And I'm really dedicated to, to helping in that way. Um, there's... I have a, a a current client who has repaired not only her relationship to herself but also to her children through working this program, which is a funny, unexpected result. Yeah, that's a wonderful result, and that's what we're really trying to do is interrupt the generational patterns that one experiences. So good job. Right. Yeah, thank you. All right, so now, you know, obviously (laughs) you have a lot of um, recommendations for how Mm -hmm. a sex addict can help the woman who is in love with him. And so if you were talking to a sex addict right now, what would you tell him? I would say you may or may not love the woman in your life or know if you love her because right now you don't maybe know exactly what love is. A lot of people think love is that crazy feeling of obsession and compulsion. So maybe you have a woman in your life that you have been using for your needs for intimacy, not just sexually but emotionally. Maybe you feel you're using her. Maybe you feel bad about what you've been doing with her. What you can do is you can take her aside and you can say, I have this problem. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It predates you. I'm not, no longer going to blame you for the way that I've been behaving and I respect anything you need to do to set healthy boundaries in our relationship, but I want you to know that I am actively seeking recovery. 
I mean, we know a lot of famous people, and I, I'll just say the name because she's famous and she's spoken about it, which was Halle Berry, who openly talked about one of her husbands being a sex addict. She ended that relationship. Um, but what was, I think, important about that was that there was there are men out there who do have a true addiction, and you may decide that you love them enough to stick it out with them as they seek recovery. But trust is not given, it is earned. So if you make the decision to stay with someone who has said, I am a sex addict, then you have to know what are your boundaries and how are you going to take care of yourself. And for the sex addicts, rigorous honesty with yourself and with others as long as it will not injure them. Yeah, very good point. Excellent point. So, again, what you're really doing is telling the sex addict that they need to be very specific with their partner that their partner is in no way responsible. It's not about, oh, you didn't have enough sex with me or, oh, you've gained Mm -hmm. some weight or, oh, you Mm -hmm. weren't affectionate enough because obviously Mm -hmm. there are plenty of couples that deal with some of those issues, but Mm -hmm. when you're in a coupleship, your responsibility is to communicate clearly and Mm -hmm. negotiate and compromise what you need and want versus what you're willing to give. And, yeah. um, you know, with sex addicts, they use that as an excuse to act out. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and you told about has... three C's that come purely from recovery. You, you didn't mm-hmm. cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. Tell us exactly. about the three A's. Right. The three A's are really, well, anyone can use them, um, whether it be the addict or the woman who's addicted to the addict or the man who's addicted to the addict. We call it awareness, acceptance, and action. What happens to us when we're addicted to someone who's a sex addict is that we just we don't want to be aware of the truth because if we're aware of the truth, we may have to make a decision right so instead of actually becoming aware of the real situation we spend a lot of time spinning our wheels trying to change our partner so i'll give you an example from my own life i have oh, well, this this gentleman who i was in love with or thought i was in love with um one night said to me well i'm going to go see this girl charlie tomorrow well charlie was someone that he'd cheated on me with Okay. And this these situations like to a to a healthy person like are you crazy? You should have just cut it off right then and there, right? And that's the shaming that comes into play. We we know intellectually this is crazy. I should cut it off, but I'm sorry. I'm a broken person from a, a kind of generationally dysfunctional background and I'm doing the best I can. So anyway, I was in recovery and I really heard what he was saying and I became aware of the fact that he was most likely in a romantic intrigue, whether or not he would have physically had sex with her, I don't know, but I knew that for him it was part of his disease. I was a will, I became aware. Then I had to get into acceptance, which a lot of us don't want to do because if we get into acceptance, what are we going to do next? But I accepted the fact that this guy was most likely having a romantic intrigue. And I was able to take action from an emotionally sober place because I'd been working my program really diligently. And I realized I cannot cure, control, contain any of this. He said, well, I'm meeting her tomorrow. I don't know why I feel bad about it. 
And I said to him, and it was so clear, I said, you might feel bad because maybe you're going to be unfaithful to me tomorrow. I said, but you know what? I can't do anything about that. So do what you need to do, but I'm going to bed. And that's what I did. I went to bed. And the next morning he called me and he said, I broke off the appointment. Now, that is not to say that if you behave perfectly every time, they're going to do what you want. But I was so emotionally sober that I was able to take appropriate action. You don't want to react. You want to act. So when you feel yourself reacting in familiar ways, and I always joke that it's like Seinfeld's George Costanza doing the opposite. I don't know if you remember that episode where he's like, whatever I no, used to I do, don't. I'm just going to do the opposite. Oh, my gosh. Well, George Costanza, you know, that character on Seinfeld, you know, he would say to a woman, I'm emotionally insecure and I have no job. And she'd say, how refreshing. I want to date you. You know, so he said, he said mm-hmm. well, from now on, I'm just going to do the opposite. We call that contrary action. You know, they say that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Well, if you find yourself doing the same thing over and over again, just take a beat. Step outside of your normal craziness and say, what would be the contrary action? For me, when he said, I'm going to see this woman, immediately I would have gone to, you're a jerk, you can't do that, if you do that I'll never see you again, you blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, I would have taken him back two days later. Instead, I was like, well, what's contrary action here? I'm making him a villain. Maybe he's just confused and messed up and has his own garbage. Well, okay, I may have to set a healthy boundary, but I am not going to try to control this. It's beyond my control. My action is, I'm going to bed. And yeah, I love that. And that's taking care of yourself as well as yes. it's interrupting that pattern. And so right. that always is a good decision if that's not something you've done in the past and what you're mm-hmm. doing hasn't worked, that definition of insanity. Right. right. And so I the have, present yeah, moment. You have a wealth of knowledge, and I am so happy that my listeners <laughs> got to hear about you and your book and your blog and your uh, course. Now, once again, just for their sake, I want to remind partners who are listening that will know that they need to concentrate more on themselves that Shannon Kaleri is a compassionate recovery road warrior coach, and she helps women in emotionally abusive relationships, and she's the author of she dated the asshats, and that's A S S H A T S, but married the good <laughs> Thank guy. Thank you for spelling that. Go from toxic love to real love in 12 exercises. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you are the creator of a love school, a 10 week program that teaches women how to goal set, how to visualize, and how to use 12 step recovery to break cycles of either codependency or emotional yeah. abuse. Yeah, and so they can get a hold of you, obviously, by contacting you through your blog, The Woman Formerly Known as Beautiful, your coaching site. Yeah, the coaching site, that's the one, yeah. Okay, so that is Shannon Clearly, C-O-L-L-E-A-R-Y, and um, really, those are the two primary ways they can contact you, correct? Yes. That is correct. Yes. So then your blog, Woman Formerly Known as Beautiful, is that the article that you wrote that was so, that uh, that resonated with so many women? 
Uh, well, I was, um, I was, I had a personal blog for a while as an, kind of a creative outlet, and it was kind of funny because I do write frequently and about married sex. Um, because I've been married for 16 years, and I interview couples and um, about how they make it, how they keep their marriages working in that way. And you know, that's when I started writing about my past, and so I transitioned into three years ago into coaching. For t- for I'd say 20 years, I've sponsored and helped people with 12-step recovery. So it's definitely something I'm really, really uh, familiar with and accomplished with. And I decided I wanted to become a coach for people privately so I could do more. I just, you know what, here's the other thing for sex addicts and love addicts, but for sex addicts in particular, a really wonderful recovery tool is to be of service because when we start uh, helping other people, we become better. We actually begin to heal. And it can be, if you're a sex addict, you can help people that are also in recovery but you can find other ways that you make a difference in the world. That raises your self-esteem, and that is another really important tool for beating addiction. Oh, I absolutely believe that. And the founder of sex addiction, Patrick Carnes, said that ultimately when you've experienced enough pain and suffering mm-hmm. and you've made that transition to recovery, the finalizing step is to give back and to do 12-step work and to serve. So I can't thank you enough for serving our listening audience tonight, and I wish you the best of success. And you contact me when you're doing a new project. I'd love to hear more from you. Carol, thank you so much for having me. All right. It's been a pleasure, and we will talk to you next time. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. So, again, that's a woman who really has worked hard at helping women to take care of themselves and to stop some cycles that are going on in their life. We need to end for tonight. I'm sorry I didn't get to personally work with you last week. I I replayed an episode of uh, one of my favorite episodes, but I promise I'm not going to be on vacation for the next three or four months. So I will see you more for Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And as I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times. So fearlessly, whether you're a sex addict or whether you're a partner who's experienced the trauma of loving a sex addict, either one of you need to fearlessly be yourself, maintain rigorous honesty, and do the next right thing. We'll talk to you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Couch. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.